Welcome to The Confessional. I'm Mike Moran. Tell us your deepest, your creepiest, your funniest. Confess to us. No one's listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Confessional Podcast. My name is Mike Moran, and I'm joined, as always, by trusty producer Jimmy Seleski. How are you, Jimmy? Doing well. Just give myself a round of applause. Just today. give yourself a round. Of, you've had it rough lately with the I uh, know all this drama that's going on with the the, the music the uh, music venues. Yeah, and Fell's Point, and now they're 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 pointing their the sights pay, towards payola scandal, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a whole bunch of things, but uh, so it's it's starting to personally affect me. But uh, it's it's. It's getting hot. I'm liking it. The right. action is heating up. I oh, like. So you I, enjoy the drama. I do. The, uh, I think it's. I think it's finally time that uh, our elected officials are held accountable for sure, the city sure, that sure. they have created. Right. For anyone who uh, is listening who does not know what's going on, the the venues, a lot of the venues that Jimmy plays at, the music venues in Fells Point, have, yes. have taken a stand and are not going to pay their t- their uh, their taxes this year. Right. Yeah, they're holding it in an escrow until uh, Mayor Brand Scott and the rest of the City Council. Uh, fulfill a list of baseline uh, demands that I think uh, any any you know municipality should be able to expect. Right. Enforce crime, right. enforce traffic laws, pick up enforce the trash. Enforce crime. Enforce crime. They oh, want wow. more the organized crime. They want. Yeah. <laughs> They're saying it's too safe, and I, I'm kind of with them. I'm kind of <laughs> with them. Let's rock and roll without a little bit of danger. <laughs> exactly, dude. Yeah. So uh, I'm with them on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Jimmy, today we have a very special guest. Uh, this this woman just uh, reminded me that we haven't seen each other, I think, in a decade and a half. A decade and a half. Some would say 15. Some would say a, even a it's, dozen it's, and a fourth. It's really, <laughs> it's really 15 and a half one, a dozen plus three the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, to me, is my l- most annoying uh colloquialism that people use. A dozen. It's so long. No, when they're like, uh, oh, it's really six... What is it like half half a dozen half a dozen or six the other or something like yeah. that? It's like that's way too long <laughs> yeah. to to sum up. Yeah. You can just explain it. There's a lot of colloquialisms that I don't get when people say, "Oh, it's it's like what time is it? Oh, it's like fifteen of fifteen before what? Right? They, yeah. You just assume they, I know the what hour. What they're doing is they're challenging you, yeah. to to like <laughs> see if you can figure it out or Certainly not. Certainly, you must know the hour, right? Right. That we're heading towards. <laughs> so I'm just gonna tell you we're about fifteen minutes away from that. Okay, thanks, dude. You've been no help. Yeah. Quarter up. Jimmy. Yes. Our guest today, this woman is a professional violinist. Nice. Can you play a violin, Jimmy? Uh, no, but I have seen one before. You have? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Well, mm-hmm. that'll help. Might have been a interview. viola, though, so I don't know. Uh, but she is amazing. She's like the real deal. Okay. Like she, she is a freaking violinist. The fiddler on the roof. Absolutely. Well, I don't know if she plays fiddle. From what I understand, that's like the is it redneck version of violin. I think yeah. it's when Appalachian people got a hold of old violins. I think if you have like a, a piece of straw hanging right, out of your mouth right, while right. playing, it becomes a fiddle. I I literally think it, it might have to do with what you do with your foot while you play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you're learning stomping. that as a kid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Um. Anyway... I'm sure she'll explain it. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure she's about to clear up tons of misinformation that we've we've just Spread. jumped on on everyone. Uh, will you please welcome to the podcast Letitia Quanti? Hi, Letitia. 
Thank you so much for having me. More importantly, about 15 years, how different do they feel when you're a child compared to 15 years? I always think about that. I like from zero to being 15, that was like seven lifetimes. Mm -hmm. It was like the world changed over and over. Cars look different, clothes look different. Now it's like, what is 2005? That's just like, is that any different than 2013? Is it, you know, it's like, yeah. So weird. You almost you almost need years like 2020 to remind you. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> Start over. Uh, so, uh, Letitia, tell us about this uh, this PBS uh, program you, you're being featured on recently. Yeah. So it's a series my uh, piano trio made up here in Vermont. Uh, talking about 2020, there's no way we could have figured out time or how to produce such a documentary. But we made basically six small episodes where we went around to different halls all around Vermont to see how they were doing during the pandemic time. Mm-hmm. So in a time where they were trying to come up with either innovative showings outside or putting things right. online in a way that they had never done before and to kind of gather their story. And so mm-hmm. we kind of we interview each pe- people from behind the scenes in each hall and then include a performance from us. Awesome. Um, uh, yeah. So, but it was a real strange, I'm, I'm a violinist. I'm not a film person. Sure. And I think you know, Emily felt the same way on her cello and Hiromi on the piano. So it was a really new venture for us that would have never happened had we not suddenly so, had all our concerts canceled. So you, you produced this yourselves then. <laughs> but you- yeah, we went from the bottom up. It was just, it was an idea. It was, asking two different filmmakers, you know, for bids. It was gathering the funding once we wow. figured out what the Wow, that's amazing. Were. That's inspiring. I didn't know and that you put within, it all together. Yeah, and all within like three months. Honestly, Emily Tobble, our cellist, was a bulldog on this. Like she nice. just, she loved the idea and yeah. she went for it so much. And then In ha- a way that we couldn't. Right. How did you get it to PBS? So we finished the series probably in about March. We had the editing happening. And we had already kind of reached out to them. Would you be interested? And mm-hmm. they said, sure, as long as we need to see the episodes first. Okay. So it was this game of trying to get the editing done quick enough so it was still right, right. pertinent to the year, right? Right. And then, uh, but then we had, we were really lucky. We sent the episodes to PBS, Vermont PBS, and they accepted under 24 hours. They, oh, they that's really awesome. That. That's incredible. Well, with your newfound connection, is there any way you can introduce me to King Friday? Do what? <laughs> King Friday from Mr. Rogers. You clearly have an in. Oh, I wish now. I could, but no, no, I'm both very bad with connections and with names. So. <laughs> but All yeah, right. I'm sure that you deal with cameras a lot more than I do in terms of being aware of them and knowing how with comedy specials, do they ever do they film it several times or is it just one go? How does that work? For you? Uh, it's all up to the, to the performer, what they want to do. Like for my special, I just did it all in one go, just had like three cameras. And then I, I did a little mini special with just one camera and just, just winged it. I loved your special, by the way. Thank you really. so much. <laughs> really, Appreciate I that. I needed that. I, it's funny because some of the jokes were obviously pre-pandemic, and so right. it's like they still kind of like flowed through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, my plan was to do a to record a fifteen-minute mini special every year on my birthday, so that way I'd have I, at least fifteen minutes of new content every year and keep me writing. 
Um, but of course, that got disrupted by, you guessed it, the pandemic. But it's not like you didn't have a birthday, Michael. Come on. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't count that birth. I feel like you, you get to, we get to skip that year. <laughs> You're one of those, like 2019 was last year. <laughs> right, yeah, totally. It feels more like 1999 was last year for me, but... <laughs> Um, are you starting to are you starting to get back on stage yeah, talking about yeah. empty stages? Definitely. I don't want to go full on this summer. I you know, even though I'm vaccinated and everything, I still feel like it's not I don't I feel like we still might need a few more months and probably my anxiety is like uh encouraging I think that. Most performers <laughs> Yeah. Most performers are dealing with that, right, that after absolutely. 9 to 12 months of not being yeah. on stage. Is it like getting back on a bicycle? <laughs> mm, getting back on a, a bicycle uh, without, you know, uh, like it's it, it's more like getting back on a unicycle. I can kind of do it, but I'm very scared. Yes, that's a perfect <laughs> But It's kind uh, of fun to let us talk about that a little bit, too, because it's how do you get used to going into these, you know, fright, flight, right, or what right. is the... Yeah, how do you get back to getting used to letting your system rev that much? <laughs> I, 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 I'll tell you, I did it. I did a really fun outdoor show the other week, and it was a great show. It went well and everything, but I felt horrible on stage. You know, I felt like that early performer anxiety again. But then the show the next yeah. night went went fine. So that's. I mean, for me, so it is I, like that. my anxiety doing stand up is like the best exposure therapy for my anxiety. But mm -hmm. you know. I haven't done it in a while, so it's coming back, making a comeback, but it'll be Traverse fun. the anxiety again, question the anxiety and the right. need for it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, uh, Letitia, your your group is called the uh, Champlain Trio, and they're available at uh, ChamplainTrio.com, right? No. It's what it, the actual episodes are on VermontPBS.com, so okay. we still have... We still have, they've been airing every Thursday of this month. So we have one more Thursday coming up this week. Beautiful. Each time, two episodes after they've aired, they're available for streaming online for the next year. Awesome. So you could, yeah, so you could watch four episodes on Vermont PBS Empty Stages. The next two episodes will be available by Friday. Well, that that is just so cool that you guys pulled that off. You put it together and you and you and it's yeah. sounds like it's breaking big. It's uh, that's really inspiring. I don't think again it could it could not have happened without COVID because even Jay Craven usually works with crews of you know sixty people usually doing mm -hmm. a film. Here we were five crew members wow. on top of the show going into Man. places. So it was a real chamber music but chamber filming also. And wow. It was just fascinating to watch. I had never seen you know, how, how they'll take you from different places in the hall. Each one is a different take. Right. But you're playing the same music over and over, Devin. Just the cameras sure, keep sure. getting closer and closer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was kind of, it was weird. But awesome. It was fun, too. And I'm grateful. I We thought that it was just going to be interviews and concerts, but it ended up that he kind of told the story of the trio, too, mm -hmm. which was, mm -hmm. we were nervous great, about it. But great, great. Oh, that's so cool. Definitely look forward to watching that. Um, and just real quick, we wanted to note the fact that is the Champlain Trio, which of course is named after the uh, the famous Lake Champlain, uh, yeah. it, which of course has the famous Lake Champlain monster, from what I understand. What's the yeah, deal with that? Yeah, kind of on the same car as Loch Ness, I think. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's going on with that guy? What's his story? 
I have not seen him. And I've always wondered, even as a child learning about Loch Ness back in the time, would I really want to see this creature? Right, it sounds, right. you know, even if it's an herbivore, it sounds terrifying to suddenly have something come out from the depths that is, you know, yay so many times your size. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Ahead, I don't know how I would react. <laughs> yeah. And there already are sea monsters pretty much, you know, I mean, a shark well, like is... You just heard about the humpback whale that ate that poor lobster man for a second, what? right? What? No. That just happened like two days ago. Some oh, was his name Jonah? Yeah, he spit him out. Apparently, he was like one minute he was in the ocean. Next minute, it was dark, but he realized he wasn't feeling Oh, pain. my goodness. The next moment, he was back out. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. So, no, <laughs> On the one hand, I'd be, I'd be happy that I was alive. On the other hand, I would feel a little rejected. Oh, would you really, Michael? Come on. That's, that's the problem. <laughs> What's wrong with me? You can't eat me? Do uh, I have a bitter taste? What? I'm not. Should I'm worse. To- I'm worse than plankton. That's what you're. I'm lower than plankton to you. Thank you. <laughs> well. No, you're just different than plankton. See, that's sure. the thing. Is we always work for acceptance. Fuck acceptance. Oh, sorry. No, you can I curse. Know, last year, but, you know. Never mind acceptance. Just go for what you are. <laughs> just dive right into that whale. Um, now, Letitia, today we will be discussing a very interesting topic. I'm surprised we haven't d- discussed this before. We haven't done ESP, have we, Jimmy? Uh, I do not believe so. I don't think we have either. Uh, but uh, this is a really cool topic. What, what, uh, what made you want to discuss something like this, Letitia? I think at first I was trying to figure out how to tie my music project at all to what you're doing. And I realized since we're both performers, we both must get those moments on stage where you suddenly feel you're not really thinking. It's just you're very in the flow and you can feel that reaction from your audience also Mm -hmm. when everything Mm -hmm. is just falling into place. So that was my first thought on Sixth Sense and kind of wondering how you feel about it. But then I also in my own life in terms of sixth sense is really strong deja vu where Mm. I remember still the first time I ever experienced deja vu. I was so confused because it felt like the same scene. It was a scene I had already been through. I knew what the next most was. How old were you? I I mean, I really, it was a moment where I didn't, I couldn't even contact. It was hard to realize that sure, one had sure. been a dream and one wasn't. Well, so, and I, they're less and less as I become an adult. But uh-huh. I was wondering how you felt about that. Well, I, I'll tell you this: I, that was certainly a thing as a kid. Where when I found out there was a word for it, it like blew my mind. I thought it was like something yeah. nobody else would relate to. You know what I mean? I thought mm-hmm. it was like a, just exactly. a thing that admit, it, that existed in my head, and that that was kind of shocking. Um, and that there still isn't really an answer, even scientifically, for exactly how or why it happens. Right. So yeah. it was talking about the first time you start questioning the world in terms of black and white or solid, not solid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. was one of those kind of, you know, uh, bridge moments. Yeah, kind of. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. How old were you when you first experienced it? I think I must have been younger than my daughter, like six or something like that. Yeah. yeah very young when the first time. And then the the consequentially other times that it's happened is just also so strong mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but um and actually one of those was when i came to the diner where i met you oh wow Paper Moon. 
Yeah, my dad had just died oh. and I was looking for a way to make more money. I had just broken off with my first fiance mm -hmm. and I came into this diner. I was looking for a place where I could still pursue music during the day and evenings. And they happened to have a midnight to eight shift, which oh, yeah. would allow me to make some kind of money without you know, right, doing right. other stuff in my life. And I remember I came in and it was the Beatles playing, which was um, a, one of my father's favorites. I had Bach and Beatles. So those were two tapes I had when I was like nice. five years old that would play on Teddy Ruxpin. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I heard the Beatles and I was like, this is a sign. And who knows? I mean, I ended up marrying yeah. Brian from Diner, right? So right. it was a real, those kind of psychic moments in a way too. Yeah. And you ended up on the confessional podcast. So I think that's probably on par that's with the, your marriage. It's all about following the yeses in Absolutely. life. <laughs> but are they psychic or not? I don't know. I'm curious to hear from your listeners. All right. Well, why don't we jump into a uh, to a confession here? Now, now you know, I, these are all over the board in regards to Sixth Sense type of phenomenon because you know it's, it's a wide subject <laughs> absolutely absolutely so we have uh casey Kiefer from uh fawn grove pennsylvania don't know where that is but it sounds beautiful i was reading in the paper about art students drawing something random which another person can't see and had to guess what you are drawing during this time you repeat the word over and over in your head i tried this with my best friend and the first thing i drew a candle she guessed right my guess is we are the same person Almost being best friends for 25 years. Wow. So they've never experienced this with anyone else? I don't think so. I don't, I think so. I think so. And, uh, you know, I guess that's kind of a subcategory of, of, of sixth sense. Like, uh, you know, what is that exactly? Like when you're, you're so in tune with another person that you can. Absolutely. Well, I know even the military has, has, um, research the subject in terms of people being able to locate mm -hmm. either people or objects just through uh, vibrations i guess right so it's definitely something that's looked into deeply i've heard of people being able to do this for uh more than just like their best friends but mm -hmm. it makes me wonder if you're a twin does that happen way more often or <laughs> i would think so i would i mean there's a that's a whole nother subject but like the, the right. psychology of <laughs> twins is incredibly fascinating but uh, I wanted to ask you, Letitia, do you ever kind of get that group think, like as we call it in improv, with your with your uh, with your musical uh, mates when you're performing? What do you call it? What do you call a bandmate for for your for what you've got? Oh, so chamber music. I, I just think of them as my colleagues or my my okay. friends usually when I'm on right. stage. But um, absolutely, because if you think of a great performance when you play, you've prepared all the technique in your case, you know, joke by joke, how it's supposed to be timed, how you're supposed to take your, mm -hmm. your moments of silence. You learn your own part in terms of when you're playing chamber music. And then you have to play that in a sixth sense way where you right. then release all the thoughts, but to do it with two other people. And when you think of a pianist, they're playing a million notes at sure. a time. You're a cellist. You're trying to mix. For me, I'm a violin, so top vibrations into lower vibrations so that they all kind of stack up correctly. Mm -hmm. That means mm -hmm. that you all need to be, for your, your favorite performances, you all need to be in that place where you're not thinking. You're just right. playing and reacting to each other. 
So yeah, there's, and, and it doesn't happen every time, but for me, I know that's what practice is for. The goal sure. is that I can release. Right. I, I feel like the ideal performance for me is all the stress and the thinking is in the practice. And then the performance is the relaxation, the fun part. You know what I mean? And if yes. you're prepared, then sometimes that can be the case. Not always, because sometimes there's other factors that you don't anticipate. Yeah. Like you definitely always have to, you know, be on your toes. But uh, yeah, the best ones are like when all the stress is just done with. And when I get on stage, it's like, all right, now it's time to have fun. It's the unicorn. I think it's everything that we pursue as artists is that moment where we actually don't feel necessarily our own bodies or our right, own right. thoughts anymore. We're just putting something out. And it's not just for us. I, I feel that when you do create that kind of performance, it permeates through your crowd and it has a Absolutely. whole different kind of, you know, so, yeah. so that's always the goal is you're, you're prepared enough and in the right mind state so that you can release when you're on stage, but to do it with two other people, you have to trust your mates. I mean, it's really mm -hmm. important that you, you, and that's, that is rare to find other people that. Yeah. And yeah. I, th I think, uh, you know, it's very important too to have the same group of people for a long time. Like I find mm -hmm. it's just something just clicks when you're with the same people you've been practicing with for like a year or whatever. And I found, I've heard that they've actually done studies with that, that like an all-star team is not as good as a just regular team that's been together for a long time. That makes sense. Absolutely. It's not all about technique. It's about the being able to play together at the same right. time. It also has to do with training though, because I know for us as a trio, we actually only, we played together separately, but to come together as a group started around COVID because I was stuck with a kid or uh, stuck. I was with the kids <laughs> at home. <laughs> Very quarantined. The old ball and shit. And, um, and yeah, and no performances were happening. So right. it was who, who are the people that I'm going to enjoy the most playing with and who are the safest. And so I found my bubble with them. And I think so if we had played 10 years together, as opposed to this very intense kind of year, it also we have similar. We all went to Juilliard. So similar wow, training. I didn't know that. The natural grass. Oh, right. Wow. But, um, but yeah, that was a particular way of getting together, too, is under under this kind of apocalyptic at the moment, right? Like stress sure. of what are we going to be as musicians? Yeah. If, if yeah. This, is, never this, this has been just yeah. the weirdest time. His like, as far as social, socially, this is the weirdest time I've ever experienced in my life. You know, it's, I, and it's the same thing for our parents and our grandparents. Yeah. They're still around. Yeah. Right. Like very few are still around from the change into world war one right. or change world war two. And mm -hmm. so it's, Actually, you know, one of the, in, well, I shouldn't go into it so much, but, the, you know, that there were huge social changes that happened in China that I do have friends that lived through that or saw. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting to see their take on it right now. It's, yeah. Yeah, the, clo <laughs> it's the closest, the closest I can think of is when uh, Burger King changed their fries in the early 2000. <laughs> that was, Michael, you remember that, you remember that Jimmy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was traumatic. It was, yes. you know, but we got through it so we can get through this. Yeah. If yeah. we can survive the fry apocalypse. <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing is learn through history. We are yeah. incredibly flexible. We are way more um, malleable than right. we think. I think we've, we've just grown up in such a safe environment that we kind of learn to We've we've lost our hits. We need to learn that we can take hits right. and go forward. That's, that's our power. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. 
Um, all right. Well, why don't you tell us some more about your uh, your deja vu experiences and your your sixth sense experience? Do you have like a, a story that stands out, or just kind of a? Ooh, I feel like I almost kind of glanced on them already. One, you know, my first when I was really young, and it was uh, just with a friend. Where literally, what I was the scene I was watching in front of me was one that I had already lived. Right, so right. I was confused. Should I do the same gestures that I did in my dream? <laughs> or do I change this up? <laughs> what do you What do you think it is? Like, what's your theory on it? I really think that if we look towards quantum science, everything is way more interconnected than we think, right? And there's did you a say lot quantum science or quante so, science? Quantum. Ooh, oh, okay. I like the word quantum, maybe <laughs> because I've always loved quantum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably that was probably how. Yeah. The, no, but the, the idea that there's an interconnectedness and that probably really, you know, if you look at Einstein, everybody knows that time right. isn't necessarily how we as humans perceive it. So I, I think it's just moments where we aren't perceiving time the way our biology is right, kind right. of set up. <laughs> yeah, time is the weirdest thing ever. Mm. I actually, uh, Sue, my friend, had an audio book on like what time actually is, and I just I couldn't even grasp it. It was just like, I mean, it like changes a little bit when you when you go into space, you know, or if you're like on a mountain, like it's just like I just don't get it. I can't wrap my head around it. I think I also don't feel smart enough to fully understand yeah. it, but I think since I was like eight or nine years old, because of deja vu moments, those kind of inspire me to chip away at it. So every mm-hmm. year, if I can find another book that tries to, or the same book that I didn't understand even when I was 11, like to just keep trying to chip away at the idea of time. But also, as I get older, I'm like, does it really matter? Like, live your time and then you'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, well, it's weird. Like we were saying earlier, it's it feels so much different than when I was a kid. Like, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a cliche that time goes by faster as you get older. But I did not expect it to be like this intense. You know, like sometimes I feel like I'm going insane when I like I'll yeah. wake up and be like, what is it, 2017 now? Or like, you know, it's just like. Are we in the 2000s? Like, right. Like is the millennium still coming up? Is, that, is it almost 1999? <laughs> Are we going to party tonight? I, I think I hadn't seen time. Time just became an accelerating thing throughout my 20s. Mm-hmm. There was something about having uh, babies that so I was still performing nonstop. I performed two weeks before I gave birth, one week after I gave birth for both my kids. So time was always going. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there were suddenly moments where I was stuck with a kid or stuck. I had, you know, <laughs> where suddenly I was the time. only holder of this child, sure. and feeder of this child for hours at a time. Yeah. And that was maybe one of the first times where I felt time slow. Really? Like really slow. Like is this interminable like i i love them but how is this ever moving mm-hmm, forward mm-hmm. again it's it's gotten back to fast but there was this moment and when i look through their eyes a little bit i see how their time might seem you have to fill them up constantly because their time is slower so they have more space right, to learn right yeah <laughs> our, our time is always going fast yeah. so we're like please don't teach me anything else today i've got <laughs> enough to get <laughs> yeah i wonder if it's that learning ability that does it because it's it is like it is nuts how like when you're a kid you're just learning all the time like if i was rate learning at the rate of like my friend's four-year-olds you know like i'd, I'd be able to understand time by now <laughs> Yeah, and what stops us from doing that is there's just too much learning in there or, or we just get nervous about 
having like the emotions that have to deal with love. Yeah, that that it does <laughs> that is part of it. I do feel like kind of the shutting down of like um I don't know what the word is, like the openness I kind of like shut down on. Yeah, like I like I I'm less I want to just kind of like deal with what I have instead of like letting new things into my brain as I get older, you know. Do you still ever have deja vu? And is that one yeah. of those moments where you wonder? So I also, when I see deja vu, I kind of, and this is my personal confession, I see it as a sign that I've taken the right steps. Mm-hmm. That somehow I've gotten to like the place I'm supposed to be in the universe. At interesting. That interesting. Just, you like, you like confirmed I'm, your destiny. Exactly. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay. I don't know yeah. about that for me, but I definitely. For me, dreams are a big thing, and um, one of my favorite things to do, I was actually just doing it this weekend, is like walking around uh, the places I grew up in, you know, like places from my past, and just kind of like meditating and like taking it all in, you know? And that for me is a really powerful experience because I'll, I'll like have dreams about these places, and then I'll, you know, it's just like, I don't know, it's just so strange to like walk by your childhood house you know, or yeah. like the the elementary the school. Yeah, 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 the smell. Yeah. The smells are the, yeah, those are the biggest. Like, I'll, whenever I dream about my, like, elementary school, like being in first grade or something, the smell is always the biggest thing. Like, that's the biggest yeah. reminder. I have a place in my dreams now that comes up regularly, and it has for, like, six or seven years. It's a fictional city. It's a mix of cities that I've lived in. So, like, Paris, New York, Singapore, and Tokyo. And they're all kind of together. Wow. And this is, for some reason, it's a city that's, like, I know in my dreams, like, mm-hmm. streets and ways to get around. Yeah. Even though it's really an amalgam of all of them. And right. I have no idea why Baltimore a little bit in there, right. too. Like. I don't know how how that is, but I do know visit it. I agree with dreams. Stay, stay out of that section that. if you can. <laughs> Sorry, more questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, let's see, what else are we going to talk about? I feel like I have kind of um, uh, like see, like like you were saying, I have like kind of like reference it, like dreams reference other dreams that I've had. Like I kind of have series going, mm-hmm. you know. Have you heard of those stories of people, there's a man in England who feels like he actually was living a whole other life with like a wife and two kids and he was going between the two, like one was a dream and one was his actual life, but it was so, both of those were so strong. Well, I, I love, yeah, I love like stories like that from like Reddit and stuff. And there's one where a guy, and it's like really sad. He like gets hit by a car. And then he like gets better and then he like goes on and lives his life and has a family and has kids and stuff. And then he becomes like obsessed with a lamp in his house. And he like, yes, that's yeah. the one. I remember that one. Yes. <laughs> that is so, I, I don't know if I believe that's kind of sounds made up, but I mean, it could have. It, it, From what I know of like mental disorders and our physiology, there's so many. Right, right. Of and our j- perceptions. And just for our listeners, he he like becomes obsessed with staring at this lamp in his house, and eventually he realizes this lamp isn't real, and then he wakes up and he had just gotten hit by the car, and his whole life was a dream. No family, yeah, no kids, yeah. his daughter. And he a, like you know, misses daddy. them terribly. He feels like his family's yeah. just been killed or something. Like he'll he'll like think about his kids all the time and he'll like see someone out of the corner of his eye and think it's like his wife or something. So yeah. sad. It is strange, huh? How we can, well, I wonder now, especially as people are 
going more online to live their lives, right? Whether it's simulations or whatever, is, is that going to be a similar effect if you have a family in a sim life, like to leave, it would feel really right, to right. a human. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're really just decades, if not years away from having kind of parallel, like having our fantasy life in the machine world and having our regular human life. Yeah, but I, I think it'll be like fully immersive relatively soon. Like it'll feel completely real. And then we'll be like, why am I living in this bullshit regular earth when I've got this badass video well, game I earth? Think, I think that's the role of us as artists is to bring people back into the real world, actually feeling our heartbeats in terms of musicians, right? To play music that makes your heart go faster or slower. Right, and right. You realize your own physiology. For you, comedy, someone laughing, I mean, that's a physiological reflex that is so healing in a way that you don't necessarily ever get the same effect online yeah. as you would in a, in a crowd of people laughing at something together. Right. It's, I think artists even, you know, yeah, I think that's our role is to, is to re-ground people into humanity. Yeah, I had, a, I had a thought, <laughs> I had a thought the other day. And I totally want to put this on a on an inspirational quote screen with clouds behind it or something. Tell me, <laughs> tell me if it's terrible, you guys. <clears throat> Good art gets you closer to reality. Bad art hides you from it. Yeah, our good art highlights reality and bad art. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Jimmy? Should we well, get t-shirts made up? Well, I think in the most baseline sensibilities of that statement, I'm thinking in terms of a drawing, a good drawing gives you a clear uh, image of what that of what the subject of the drawing was versus a bad drawing is a worse rendition of... So you have a better understanding of what the artist had in his mind if he's a good drawer than a bad drawer. And I think that, that same principle could be carried over to music now, or anything like well, that. Well, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is... Actually, I might be sounding a little pretentious, but like there's low art that's designed to just kind of take your to, to, to escape to like yes. to co-sign your you're not facing reality in a way. And there's nothing wrong with low art in small doses. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's perfectly fine to uh, to to have fun with that stuff. Mm -hmm. But it is an escape to some degree. I think perhaps maybe truth could be substituted for the word reality in this. So low art. Uh, uh, hides you from the truth, right? Whereas high art brings you closer to the truth, right? Right. And we should reframe so it in that. Low, so go ahead. By low and by low and high. So you could have someone who's technically very good, and they're drawing a picture. I'm going to go to drawing since you guys went for it. If it looks like a photograph, it's very much the subject they have. It can still be low art because it's not telling you anything about the artist or about the subject, right. right? Whereas high art would have the same technique, but get that sixth sense of what that person is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not just how they look, but also who right. they are as human, right? Absolutely. Well, okay. for me, because because low art doesn't necessarily have to be with low technique. Sure, sure. Who have folk art like? you know, not traditional techniques. I mean, there, there are so earnest much. films that are that are very well produced, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, Ernest goes to space. I thought you meant Ernest like the no, adjective no, no. Ernest. No, like, not Ernest not, films. <laughs> okay, now not, I know. Not the important of That's being Ernest. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, if you... <laughs> If you watch like Ernest Save Chris Saves Christmas or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. it may be very well made, but it's still like kind of an. I, it's low I art. feel bad using the terms low art and high art because it's totally pretentious, and I'm it totally does, into 
all sorts. There's room enough there's for everything. Such, but there's such, there is such thing as low art, and and nobody ever wants to be the person who who because when you say high art and low art, it almost comes off as you are positioning yourself as the arbiter of what right. is high and low art. Right. Which but, I think it's important to distinguish. You're not saying that you are the arbiter of high and low art, but there is objectively good art and bad art. I'm sorry. I know this goes against all artistic principle, but when a guy duct tapes a banana to a to a wall, that I don't like it. That is pretentious to me. It's pretentious that you would try to insinuate that that is high art. Well, well what I, about like Banks, who does the painting that gets shredded? I, I think it's all about intent. No matter if you're mm. a musician, a comedian, an artist, uh, whatever it is, it's, if your intent is deeper than just putting out your own ego, it becomes interesting. Yeah. And right? by the so way, I'm low can't... art for me is something that's that goes to the. Yeah. Unless the message behind the banana duct tape to the wall was a uh, right. kind of like joke on the art industry. Yeah, or like an anti-art thing, like Nirvana, you know? Like they were, and perhaps they were technically, that is like as far as production and appearance and everything, they put in way less than other bands. But yeah. that was kind of the point. Yeah. Okay, then I, I, I retract my previous statement. But even okay, so. Okay, well, in that case, I'm not going to cancel my banana tape to a wall project that I had going. <laughs> good, I good, good. I was noticing inordinate purchases of duct tape and bananas. <laughs> well, okay, no, I'll, I want to put it struggle, this way. I struggle with this with music a lot because classical music is not necessarily something that naturally appeals to everyone unless sure. they've been a little bit educated in it. And so sometimes I wonder what what is it I'm doing. So I foray, like, Michael, I remember on it at the restaurant, like I would come off of shows with Kanye West, right? So I would like get off of his show around 11.30. Wait, you, you perform with Kanye back. West? Of course, yeah. I mean, course. I've gone into Everybody's into, like, performed with Kanye West. stuff, you know, like, but I'm a class, I love classical music. I find that. Well, okay, well, let's, 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 like. uh, let's, let's park the truck for one second here because now I want to no, know, please. you've worked with Kanye, who else, Kanye who else have you worked with? <laughs> That you're just casually uh, walking through there. Gosh, um, no, I'm not a good name dropper, but yeah, I mean Mozart. That, <laughs> Did you work with Mozart? Mind, Michael, because I remember coming off still in the dress that I had for the Virginia show or whatever. Really? You were at the, you were cleaning the dishes, and I was like trying to wipe <laughs> Classic off. Classic Mike. Trying to get into like waitressing clothes. <laughs> Mike was wow. working with uh, Ajax at the time. It was. <laughs> I worked with Ajax. You worked with Kanye. But no, I want to know what other musicians did you work with place. at this time? <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's the great uh, equalizer is the dish room. Um, I, I remember, yeah. Who else did you work with? Daughter, I, I want you to drop some names on me. Uh, Natalia Lafricad. There was Fantasia. There was... I mostly did those gigs for money because they paid really well for the moment. So, so that was something... I would do around Baltimore and Philadelphia and New York. So there's wow. a few others, but I, I, <laughs> the, the point I guess was I saying is with classical music, I wonder how music still is affecting people. And I like to go into like ethnomusicology a little bit because I really feel like music once upon a time, the sounds and scales had to do with people's organs and their bodies. And they were much more in tune with really? vibrations. And so I really feel like music has kind of gone far. There's there's pop music or music that has to have gone commercial. There's classical music, which maybe you were talking about pretension. Every once in a while, 
definitely has a sousson of pretension. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I keep trying to wonder in my lifetime, I'm a violinist because I feel like music has something that's deeper than words. And that yes. can go across yes. That's another across thing. Lines. And get your inspirational quote font ready because I got another one that I've been thinking about. <laughs> um, uh, music kind of like it makes you feel it communicates to you without words like it makes you connect with another person by being like i don't know why that series of sounds is is making me look at myself or learn about myself or reminding me of something but it is yeah now Your nervous granted, system so they've done studies like they've played bach for people around the world so from aborigines in in uh australia or pygmies in south africa to europeans yeah. they play bach which is is very standard right right um have they with, tried with crazy town tape, <laughs> with a tape well they do it with a tape it was a scientific study with a tape around your muscle that contracts slightly whenever you have a nervous system on your hand and everybody contracted in the same ports Whoa. in the same places it's our nervous system so music essentially is communicating directly to our nervous system mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i think we've if you go to like ancient Sufi music or ancient Indian music or Greek, the Greek scales that all our classical music is based on, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think all of that had to do, there used to be an organ connected to each scale that you played, like D major was liver or something like that. Like I don't Whoa. quote me on that, I'm not sure if that was the one, but it's always made me think that whatever, and, and I realized myself when I play a, a certain keys, I feel uncomfortable depending yeah, on where I yeah. am in my life. I used to hate E major. Right. I loved D minor. I, why do we feel different ways? I think it's because it's affecting our nervous system in different ways. Right. And I think that the industry knows this and that's why they managed to sell or not sell products and religion knew this. I mean, Catholic sure. church, much of the best music was commissioned by the church because they knew the power of music. Mm -hmm. It's kind mm -hmm. of been dissipated into, into corporations now. Sure. And so I think as musicians, we need to figure out what is the deeper meaning of what it is. Absolutely. Out. I love the craft of, I love artists that are just into the craft on that level. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't care about like uh, what genre you fit into or like, you know, how much knowledge you have. Like it's when people can get into it like that existentially, like what does this actually do to people? That's what I appreciate. And I want more art like that. Like with, with rock bands around here, like of course not Jimmy stuff, but a lot, so many bands <laughs> are just, all they care about is <laughs> all they care about is, is this guy a good guitarist and what genre are we going to fit into? Who are we going to sound like? It's like, dude, I right. want you to create a song that does something to me. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Same with comedy. But it's the, same, it's the same thing for comedians. When I watch, one of my favorite things is not if not only if you have perfected bits that really are, a, a you know, that window into somebody else's view of the world that mm. makes you laugh, but also an overlying um, concept of what it is that you are as a human mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what makes you you in a way that, you know, so, so there's always got to be this like sixth sense kind right. of... Right. Um, interconnectedness of yeah, what you're yeah. saying to what somebody else is feeling mm -hmm, in their world mm -hmm. and, and creating empathy for yeah, the and fact like, that as, as comedians and musicians, how cool is it that, we, and I try to remember this when I get frustrated with the whole thing, how cool is it that we have the opportunity to make people feel immediate joy, you know, mm -hmm. just like in or the moment. Immediate. The number of times that I've kind of been playing with this because some of the programs that are being presented for me next year are dark. 
because they have to deal with dealing with COVID or mm-hmm. with whatever happens, mm-hmm. especially, you know, like classical music. And for me right now, I'm so in a place where I want hope because I think sure, a lot of things feel dark. So I, I've been kind of fighting against program. I, I want programs that are more hopeful, uh, whether it's more contemporary music mixed with classical. I, I don't want the super dark, heavy shit. Right. Oh, sorry. Right. Stuff because you can, you can curse, me- Letitia. You don't have to apologize. I, oh. In fact, well, I I, I'd be I'd be disappointed story. if you didn't curse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just you, yeah. You want to think about what you're doing with your art in terms of how you're you're moving people because you can't. You can get them right. to tears easily if yeah. If, I, yeah. With my my comedy that happens pretty often. Yeah. So. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everyone's just crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. What about those cleaning holes? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Why don't we read this one from Desiree Walsh, Toronto, Ontario. Love Toronto. Yeah. I've never, oh, we got two, uh, oh wait, I'm sorry. Did I hold on one second? I'm sorry, guys. Uh, okay. Forget that. (laughs) That was from last week. This is from, uh, Allison Chadwick, Stony Brook, New York. When I was a kid, I would dream about places and then actually go to them. For instance, I dreamed a lot about a church and then I went to Iceland and we went to that church. Deja vu? Yeah. I've had that to some degree, I think, where I feel like I've dreamed about a place and then I went there. What's your story? You told me you had one. Well, okay. As far as like glitch in the matrix type of stories, I have one that I know I've talked about on this show before where I, uh, and I don't know how much of it actually happened and how much was like retconned in my head to, you know, like write a better story. But uh, one time I was leaving, when I worked at a a, a pharmacy in a grocery store when I was probably like 21, um, I was leaving and walking to the light rail and I was singing the last song that was on the radio in the grocery store in my head, which was that uh, horrible Lay Down Sally song or whatever the hell it's called. God, I hate Southern rock. <laughs> um, it, and I was just like, I just like had it in my head, you know. And then I, as I'm walking towards the light rail, a man is walking towards me, just some random guy. And he looks up at me and he starts singing the song along with me. And he's walking, he's not walking from the same store. He's walking from the light rail towards the store. So it'd be, you know, he's yep. not like he would have been in there. At least that's how I took that? it. Did you see it as a sign that you needed to talk to the man or avoid him at all costs? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I generally try to avoid all people at all costs, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just thought it was weird. And I just thought like, huh, did that actually happen? Am I, you know. And it's like, am I mythologizing it? In my in, in reality, he could have maybe just been singing something that was similar, like saying something, you know. But it's just like, but I, I think that was a real coincidence. Well, here the thing is with the law of big numbers, potentially coincidences. There's potential for coincidences to happen all the freaking time, right? Every now and then, yeah. one's gonna hit, you know. Like every now and then, something that is completely, you know, against the odds is going to happen. So it's not necessarily like supernatural. But when it happens, when it happens really makes you wonder, like uh, if we want to go a little darker in terms of sixth sense, um, I have both my grandmother and my father I knew beforehand. And, and it was very specific with my grandmother. I was about four years old. She came to me and I went to my parents saying she had died. Right. So oh. uh, and it was the 
Another one was with my father. I remember I had come back from Singapore. I was playing with the symphony there and I had just arrived back in Baltimore less than 24 hours. And I was with my fiance at the time. And I just remember feeling really weirdly sad. And we went, he was doing some kind of shows and he was picking up amps somewhere near the railroad. And at the railroad, I was waiting for him. And suddenly a train that took, it felt like 10 minutes, all cars to Vermont. So I knew my dad was from Vermont and I was just sitting there feeling uncontrollably sad for oh, no reason at all. And then I just saw like 10 minutes of just carts saying Vermont on them oh, over and over again. And I called, I called him five or six times in the car because for some reason I felt it had to do with my father. A few hours later, I got the call that he had been oh, found. So it was like, there's just, there are moments where time, you don't know really what it means. But as an adult, I definitely look to like, if I have specific dreams and particularly like, let's go light the other day I had an idea. Um, I kept seeing a fox coming towards me and mm. going for my chickens that were behind me. And I just, this was a really clear dream that the fox was coming for my chickens. I don't normally remember my dreams. So I, the next day, of course, I'm going to look up symbolisms for fox sure. and what it means. And, you know, it turns out, oh, it says you might have a false friend around. Ooh, okay, I'll, I'll maybe look out a little bit for that. <laughs> like, I don't know if that means anything in my well, life. Clear dream. I do look up the symbols out of curiosity. If, if you have <laughs> enough friends, you probably do have a few false ones hanging For sure. around. For sure, like <laughs> astrology. There are like uh, shady people are around. That's something I've learned in life too. It's completely unrelated. Is like it's not always you. Like you try to not blame other people. You know, you try to like own your own stuff and not blame others for your failures or whatever. But there are yeah. a lot of slimy people out there. There really are. Yeah, there's, yeah, a, lot. there's a lot of hurt people yeah a lot of hurt people uh that's that's always the thing for me as i get older is just to slimy people and just incompetent people i mean that can affect you greatly too well yeah i mean that's me definitely but i I try to be pretty honest with you there's part of me that that thinks there's just a little bit too many humans on this earth (laughs) now you're talking now we can get to the point of the podcast Uh, i wanted to get to now let's begin with social darwinism (laughs) (laughs) great Oh, let's see. Best place for camps. You live in rural Vermont. (laughs) (laughs) Now, just to piggyback off what you were saying, I think there is, uh, in terms of like, like I think there is a lot of uh, uh, validity to when they talk about how like your your conscious mind is only like when you physically look at something and focus on something, your subconscious mind is still taking in all these other physical and and, like sense clues. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you're. And it's constant. So, and, and they say that you're really only conscious of about 10% of all the different stimuli that you're taking sure, in on a sure. daily basis. And so much of the importance of sleep, even, is basically your mind kind of like cl- clearing out shop of all the unnecessary information it took in throughout the day. Hmm. That it's actually necessary for your mind to be like, okay, to kind of do this like rudimentary, like, sorry, okay, we don't need to remember well, all this shit. You know, my, what I mean? whoever's managing my mind dumping is needs to be fired because they're dumping out <laughs> all you, the important Michael, stuff. <laughs> well, well, that's that's what I guess I'm getting. I at. have a full knowledge of Motley Crue's discography at any <laughs> given time, but I can't tell you. Anything, I, I zero percent of what I learned in school, I can yeah, tell you. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it, it all comes down you to can deprogram anything yeah. in your brain. Yeah, that's, what that's your mind? I don't know. But you're a musician. I have a question. Justin, is that correct? Jimmy. I'm sorry if I. Jimmy. One more. Jimmy. Jim. Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy. Perfect. Okay, mm-hmm. so like Jimmy Hendrix. Perfect. I'm yeah. playing that. In the- okay. Uh, 
do you notice as a musician, since you have to kind of hone your skills of watching yourself, like knowing, am I in tune? Am I fucking the right way? So you're fixing your brain to be able to take a lot of signals at a time. Yes. Do you feel like that helps you in terms of kind of getting those sixth sense signals, right? Where like, you're not just taking in the color of the thing in front of you. You're yes. kind of getting other I think, okay, vibes. I actually had this conversation with my bandmates, uh, like after a gig a couple weekends ago. And we were kind of discussing what you were discussing, where you were saying like, practicing basically put it this way everyone can hear a cool guitar solo in their head right like if like when a song comes on and you're sitting there like practicing is not necessarily knowing how to think of or how to like you know imagine a cool guitar solo it's training your body to be able to be a conduit to communicate that through this instrument or vocally or whatever and I think when you're, like we were saying, when you're playing with other people and, and there is this point where you're not thinking, it's not, I'm not thinking I'm going to play a D chord. I'm not thinking I'm going to hit this note. I'm thinking there is this like, I don't know how to describe it because it seems like supernatural when you say it, but there is this like wavelength that you're all on where you're just reacting to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think as musicians, and, and that's, that's what, um, you know, a lot of different cultures have different things for it. A lot of things like um, there's words in like the Native American culture, where they say you're, you're, you're channeling god or something like that like you are just mm -hmm. you are just you have become a conduit for whatever is coming through you and you a lot of right. times i'll just Muse. pop back in consciously and be like wow i'm just doing yeah. this yeah. you know what i yeah. mean and so i think as musicians and as performers and and i think that comes from anything i think if you talk to professional athletes there'll be certain times when they say he's in the zone yeah. where he is just literally just a, he is just doing everything is just flowing you right. know what i mean right. and so i think when you get to a higher level in anything, you come closer into touch with this kind of subconscious, like other dimension of like, wow, like that some people might not be as close into touch with. You know what I mean? Yeah, so definitely. like access the zone. That's yeah, exactly what yes, I wanted totally, you guys to totally. talk about today. And How so access that zone? Dude, that is the secret. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. And that ahead. does exist. And what I was getting at with the with the subconscious thing is like when you have dreams, and I think this is why I, uh, okay, so you were saying that you look up symbolism in dreams. I don't necessarily think, like the other night I had a dream that I was losing all my teeth and stuff like that. And and I told somebody about it and they looked it up. They were like, oh, when you lose teeth in a dream, that means this, that, the other. Moving to Appalachia. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't necessarily There's believe. a lot of symbolism to teeth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't necessarily believe that that um the that losing teeth in my dream might mean the same thing to me as it might mean to somebody else so i don't necessarily give credence to like oh i'm gonna go online and see what this means because everybody's mind works differently but i do absolutely believe um that there is a certain value and importance and, and to these dreams because like i said before you're taking in all these extra stimuli throughout the day that during your sleep your mind is clearing out this thing you don't even know half the time of what you are subconsciously aware of in your mm -hmm. life that you're taking in all this information that you might not even be focused on yeah. that your mind is aware of and then you start right. to see these things happening in your dream and then sometimes you wake up a day or a week later and something like that will play out in real life and you're like, right. was that a premonition? Not necessarily. You didn't predict the future but you were subconsciously aware of some things that you weren't consciously aware that you were aware of, if that makes any sense. 
Yeah. And so I do flow give value. States. Flow states, they call them sometimes. I, mm-hmm. I always look across cultures. So when, like, if you were to look up symbolism, that it wouldn't just be teeth from, from the Western world. It'd be teeth also from the Indian world. And from, like, for me, it's always, if I can find an amalgam that matches yeah. through all, but all different cultures. I would stay away from Britain, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would stay away from Britain on that one, Letitia. I don't know if they, they <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in, in Britain, in Britain, <laughs> if, if, if you have a dream, you're losing all your teeth. They're like, oh, no, dude, you were just awake. <laughs> you weren't dreaming, bro. <laughs> I think that means you have insomnia, oh, actually. And, and we, we bash Britain on uh, the, one of the few episodes where we actually have a confession for Britain. Oh, great. <laughs> but before we get to that, before we get to that, I just wanted to say real quick, that flow state that we talk about, I feel like my anxiety has been such a bad disease my whole life that it's cut me off from that, which is why I think I've underperformed yeah. a whole lot. Like, I always tested really highly as far as intelligence when I was in elementary school, but I had a horrible time getting through school. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one of the, but the, one of the best things about being a human is you can find out what you suck at and get better with it. And for me, stand-up, I'm still very anxious on stage, but it gets a little bit less each year, and that yeah. makes that gives me hope that it's yeah. going to continue to get better. Yeah. And I'm in this for the long haul, so I have no deadline. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, just, just one more thing, Letitia. Um, and also, my goal someday is to be able to walk on stage and not try at all. Just be in that flow state and, yeah. and just improvise everything just to maximum effect. Yes. You know? Yes. Sorry, go ahead. So Letitia. Having, having talked to a lot of soloists and also read um, that anxiety state, some don't have it. Some have it so strong that they cannot get into their flow state without mm. it. Oh, so it's it. actually, yeah, it's actually about being able to embrace how your body's system gets you ready for your flow state. Mm-hmm. Some people, they absolutely need to be nauseous, vomiting beforehand, right, right. feeling horrible for them to have their best shows. Yeah, that's for true. Me, that's true. My, my best shows often happen where I'm so exhausted that I fall asleep in the green room beforehand. Somebody shakes me and I'm on right, stage, right? right. Like, yeah. Sometimes everybody's different. I, I remember I never got nervous. Uh, the first time I ever got that kind of flight or fight, actual nerves were like, you're like, this right. does not work for violin, by the way. <laughs> um, that, that wasn't until after my father's death. So mm. there was something about my system had changed a little bit, sure. you know, in my early 20s, as opposed to had been, I've been performing since I was six years old. Right. Wow. So, so, but, but at this point it hasn't come back. So, but I really know people that if they don't feel sick beforehand, they then get even more nervous. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, uh, not- I think it was Paul Newman that vomited before every single one of his, pref- or no, it was wow. somebody who did live Woody stuff. Allen? No, no. It was someone who uh, was a live performer. Oh, it's going to be more than one. I think a comedian, like in, in the Rat Pack kind of era, who, uh, yeah, not, every not single show. I could have yeah. sworn it was Woody Allen. That he, Woody Allen doesn't perform, though. I he mean, didn't do stand-up? Woody Allen? No, he's a filmmaker. Mm. He's a filmmaker and quite possibly oh, a creep. Oh, guys, you're discussing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this took it right to I it. feel like I know who you're talking about, and I think... I, it, yeah, you're right. It's not Woody Allen, but it's I, I it's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, but he would he vomited every single time his entire life before he went on stage. You could probably do a poll now, of all your yeah, comedians, yeah. and most people right. will say they're nauseous, yeah. or the night before, mm-hmm. or when you're imagining your right, concert right. happening. Well, for me, doing. I'll tell you, Letitia, I, I I don't think my anxiety is really a good thing for me as far as performance. It goes better when I chill a little bit, but. 
the ang- over I'm, overcoming the anxiety is what's important for me. Like I'm not resentful that it's there, you know, because this process of like dealing with it and just slowly getting better is a very fulfilling one, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So do you, because a lot of people try to take shortcuts by, you know, taking those shots or your, your full few joints beforehand or, and everyone finds their own, you know, for me, as long as you're giving that flow performance, you know, take your pick, do whatever you need, but it is, it is sometimes a slippery smoke slope when you're, when you're trying to overcome, right. Your, your anxiety, have you turned towards that before and, and kind of experimented is my show better when I'm slightly drunk or is it? Yeah. 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 What do you think about that, Jimmy? Do you do you, do you uh, oh, get a little? <laughs> yeah, I think I think I'm lucky in that I definitely can see the benefits of like. Okay, so have you guys ever heard of a thing called the Balmer Point? The, it's the uh, Bal- oh, like like Fell's Point. Yeah, <laughs> the Balmer Bal- Point. B B A L M E R. I read one article about it. I'm not even I'm not even convinced it's a real thing, but I've always used this as justification for a lot of things. They did some study with computer programmers, computer coders, and they found that um, that at a certain blood alcohol concentration, and I think it's around 0.12, they are actually more effective, more efficient, and, and doing less errors than when they're completely right. sober. I, I would believe it. I believe it. Um, and so, so it basically, yeah. <laughs> it basically goes, it's very strange when they graphed it. Like they were basically graphing on amount of errors and like efficiency and percentage of like correct things, but they'd have to go back and edit. And it was like started at zero, like completely sober. And then it would kind of go down, 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 down. And then for whatever reason at point one, two, mm. it was just peaked, like yeah. spiked. And then it was just a straight drop off into there. Dude, so it was there, literally there is no doubt in my mind that I would ideally be better with like one shot or two in my system. Yeah. As far it's as, but you know, <laughs> I've had either the gift or the curse of being sober the entire time I performed, you know, I've yeah. never once had either the luxury or the burden of, of needing to get, you know, and, um, it's a better way to do it. <laughs> I think so. I'm not completely against, you know, I think drugs in our in our world, whether they're medicine or alcohol or whatever, can be beneficial if used correctly. You know, we yeah. shouldn't deny them. On um, the right system. Yeah, yeah. Like for me, I would not recommend just doing stand up as a cure for anxiety. You know, like it yeah. helps, but it's not gonna like you know take yeah. it all away. Or, or drinking uh, if you're nervous about having to drive later. <laughs> like, like if you have it, you know, like maybe not the best way to implement that. Yeah, I don't want to be, I don't want to endanger other drivers by being anxious behind the wheel. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I do think that's though on a, on a life quest. If we're talking about psychic and everything, if you're trying to figure out what causes anxiety, what allows you to go past it, and you're confronting that regularly on stage, that does take you to the next you know, pops up level in terms of karma, just because it it, it does feel like such a battle actually, because you're going Mm -hmm. in front of people with certain feelings and knowing what you present. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you you mentioned resistance, Letitia. Is that, uh, are are you into the Stephen Pressfield stuff? A little bit, but (laughs) I like him somewhat. Are you? I mean, I'm not huge, but I, I, like I'm not like obsessed like some people are, but I I will say that is probably the most practical like uh, kind of uh, motivational literature, you know, in the sense that it's it is all about just doing the work. 
But it's like, why is it so hard to get there? You know, like, are you familiar with uh, Stephen Pressfield, Jimmy? I don't think so, actually. Dude, I think you would like him. He's like, he wrote The War of Art. The War of Art. Uh, not The Art of War, The War of Art, where okay. his, his whole thing is basically we have this thing inside of us called resistance, the artist especially, that makes you just not, that wants you to fail at your, at your craft, that does not want you to do it. Huh. And that's why it's so hard for artists to sit down in front of the canvas or sit down with a guitar or whatever. It, that that we have a, a deep seated desire to fail. I wouldn't say a deep seated desire. It's just a phenomenon that exists that wants us to not do it for whatever reason. Uh-huh. Like you know. Well, I wonder if it comes down to our biology, and we're talking about sixth sense and deja vu. If there's a part of us that feels um, we're incapable of going into flow, right? Then right. you have. Yeah. Well, if you truly believe in your ability to flow, yeah. then the resistance goes away, right? I believe that there is a negative force inside. Probably in the past, they would have called it the devil or something like that. I think it's probably just whatever kept, kept humans down for like reaching their, their full potential for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, um, I think there is like when they talk of like the angry gods of like the, the Bible or the other ancient religions, I think that is like a for like an evolutionary force that's like not happy that we're becoming so smart, you know, and like yeah. wants us to stay in our primitive state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I do think that is like what fucks with me. And, and a lot of, and, and like you look at the world right now, people are smarter than ever. People are living better than ever. We're also more miserable than ever. And I, I personally believe yeah. it's that force kind of attacking us. Yeah. Also, I don't necessarily. <laughs> What's that? That accessing knowledge, what does that mean to us, right? Does that yeah. make us smarter? <laughs> right, yeah, and I also, yeah. I also don't necessarily subscribe to the belief that human beings are are that much smarter than we were, yeah. say, 2,000, 3,000 years ago. I think, like... Um, we have an access, like, like if you think about even the, even the fact that we're speaking English, like no, none of us invented English. Right. We're just, we're just channeling something that like has been built yeah. up over time. And we're but just next week we are having, our guest will be the person who invented English. Yes. So really yes. Which I'm very excited about yeah, that. That one's good. He's really yeah. good at, English. at English. You're yeah. doing a different language? Huh? You're doing a Different language? No, no, no. Oh, we're yeah, not yeah. nearly that. We're, conduct- <laughs> we're doing a podcast with the guy who invented English in a different language, just yeah. to be totally meta and ironic. <laughs> but uh, anyway, no, ah, it's, I think a lot of it is like, like... Actually, my youngest, my five-year-old right now, so I speak French. It's my first language. My oldest speaks French because I spoke mostly French to her when she was a baby. My, my second one, I was already speaking English because my oldest had to go to school. So uh-huh. she does this thing where she'll just babble at me, and then she'll look at me. She was like, this is French. Mm-mm, this is not French. <laughs> it just makes it sound like a bunch nice. of noise. That <laughs> sounds like French, but uh, not actually. French. <laughs> She's inventing French. <laughs> that's cool. That's how I speak French. To be fair. <laughs> no, I was. I guess I was getting at like the access to information and things right. like that, and the intelligence. I think that a lot of times when when people talk, what you were talking about, like these these dark forces and the the, the devil and gods and things like that when people will look back at like the way these ancient people thought about certain phenomena i think they write them off as like oh you're really going to listen to what a bunch of like desert farmers had to say it's like no these people were if you would have given socrates an iphone he would have been able to figure it out he was like yeah no i totally agree i totally agree it's a culmination yeah no one on i have no idea how anything works like yeah. computers like and neither nothing. did neither. not the most ba- like if you put me in in nature mm-hmm. what would i do like i just i wouldn't be able to create anything yeah. i mean the fact that these guys discovered you know 
planetary systems without right, right. fucking telescopes and shit that they just yeah, were able I to use mathematics. Like, too, like, they were incredibly intelligent yeah. even back then. And now what happens incredible. is as... Yeah, as our base of knowledge increases absolutely, and our technology absolutely. increases, you can use that same yeah, intelligence 99.9% per, of knowledge that mm -hmm. I have comes from learning from other people. Yes. Very yes. few things I figure out on my by myself. But so you have these ideas and these Michael, forces. Once upon a time, 99% of your knowledge would have come from what you observed of, of your life on Earth right, around you. Right. Yeah. That's why I moved to Vermont. It made no more sense to me. And, and sorry to everyone who lives in cities, but I needed to know how my food comes out, how I raise animals. I mean, hmm. I live on a homestead, right? I, and it was mostly just because as a human, I felt we were going so far away from from what I can actually learn from. Yeah. I, I can't learn from well, a sim world. Well, I feel like my world's, yeah. I have gotten to a place, though, where I, I am, there are some things that nobody else can, like, because no one can completely relate to your own psychology, there are things that you do have to figure out for yourself, I think. And I have gotten to a place with, like, art where I feel like I've tapped into something that no one's ever taught me. And in, when I say tapped in, I've just recognized that it's there type of thing. Like, mm -hmm. there's this energy or something where it's like, that is what I want to create versus yes. like this riff sounds cool or mm -hmm. like, you know, it's like, no, yeah. this is exactly what I want to create. And I'm not very good at accessing it, but it's like, I feel like I finally know what that energy feels like when it's like, this yeah. is just right. You know? Well, you know what your sound is? It's like Sammy That's Davis Jr. Says it takes a long well, time to sound like yourself. Right. Right. You know, and you learn all these scales and these riffs. And just like when you learn on a guitar to be able to play something else that, you're ultimately you're you're trying to become good at an instrument or become good at producing music so that you can become a conduit for whatever sound right, you're right, supposed exactly, to be channeling. Exactly. And too many know? people get caught up in just imitating others. You know, well, just being I like, think this kind of yeah. sounds like a cool Black Sabbath riff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and everybody everybody in a way kind of starts out as a cover sure, artist. Sure. Where you're absolutely, just even if you're absolutely. writing your own music, you're you're writing your sure, own music sure. to sound like this other but band. Or, which, I'm sorry, we keep putting you off with this. I'm so sorry. I swear this is the well, last thing I'll say. Because classical music, you know, when you're talking about cover art that's you know covering bands have done that a lot classical music you're not covering music that composers have done 300 years ago you're not covering music that musicians have played 300 years ago you're finding the same meaning that uh -huh. musicians did is somebody years speaking ago. french back there and it's still it's your own it's yeah. your own meaning yes i can no you're fine <laughs> yeah no this is the <laughs> thing leticia this is what i wanted to say and this is how i think of it these days Yes, I am taking, like, if I write a song, I am taking my influences and rewriting that. But I want to rewrite the feeling, the emotion, yes. the vibe, the intangible mystery thing. Uh huh. Not like, oh, it sounds cool to do this on the bait, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. That's the sixth sense. <laughs> awesome. Uh, let's read one more here. Uh, this is from Sasha Christie, Liverpool, England. Uh, I was cleaning my bath. <laughs> What's that? Never been. Heard lots about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, that's they, they did not give it a very attractive name to that town. Doesn't sound Liverpool. Good. Liverpool. That's pool of liver. Great music out of there. Holy crap. Well, you were just talking about how like you you write I a know. thing that relates to a liver or Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. I was <laughs> But I just picture like a, a big vat of like internal organs when yeah, I hear Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, just yeah. Like, just just great music. 
Drop them in the liver pool. <laughs> I was cleaning my bath when I suddenly had a feeling like an explosion in my chest and thought, oh my God, my friend Pitt is dead. I was so overwhelmed that I couldn't get it out of my head. I couldn't get a hold of him and he had changed his number. I asked him about and heard he was okay. Three weeks later, my daughter came to see me Monday and told me that he had hung himself on Sunday on Remembrance Day. I guess that's something they celebrate in Liverpool. Liverpool, yeah. The Remember day, when our town had a cooler name? <laughs> we're talking about a suicide here. So oh, okay. get it. I'm so sorry this, to hear about her loss. Really. The day I felt it was the day he fell out with his girlfriend and smashed his stuff up. It took me a long time to forgive myself for not trying harder to get a hold of him. He had suicidal tendencies for years. The previous time I contacted him, he was looking for someone somewhere to hang himself. Our connection was strong. He went through a lot of friends, 29 years of friendship, mayhem, and partying. Sasha, we are very sorry for your loss, and we don't mean to uh, make light of, of any of that. Um, have you guys ever had anything like that of, uh, you know, a... Uh, like a, where you kind of... I mean, well, Letitia, Letitia is, yeah. uh, already told you knew both your uh, grandmother yeah, and I your father. Told you that it's, a, it's, it's a similar story. I, I think that when you are, when somebody's going through a really strong moment in their lives, they're maybe creating more energy than normal. And so, so if you're at all in tune with someone else's mm. whatever they're putting out in the universe, right? It yeah. could be an artist you love or, or, or a family member or a friend. But if those moments of turmoil, I think do cause a little bit of a schism into the universe sure. enough that maybe the are who are around them might feel it. Well, so I'm sorry for your loss. Yes. What I uh, I'll let you talk in one second, Jimmy. Mm -hmm. But but I'm more important. So um, hey man, I'm just a producer, bro. <laughs> I just want to say it real quick before I forget. It's like the interesting thing about like science for me is like you know I'm a skeptic. I've gotten into skepticism. On its face, it seems like this the the scientific world is so much more cold and sterile and less magic than the mystical world, yes. you know, of either old religions or new age stuff. But what I found is that it's really kind of the opposite. Like the more, like the thing about humans is we have imagination, which is we know that we don't know mm -hmm. for me. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. like right now, the best physicists on the planet will tell you that we don't know 99.9% .9 of what's going on. Absolutely. We don't experience it. Nobody fucking knows why we're here. Nobody knows what happens when you die. Nobody mm -hmm. knows what we are or what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. No one on the planet knows that right now. And it's now. almost worn as like a badge of honor within certain more drab right. people in the scientific community yeah. Yeah. to be like, oh, well, you know, like they, they almost look at it as like a sign of intelligence to be able to explain the universe in this awfully boring way. Right, right. Way that it's like, no, I mean, honestly, the more we've looked into, especially with quantum physics and things like that, is is that, that you know, even with the double slit experiment with uh, photons and how it sometimes acts like a particle, sometimes acts like a wave based off of somebody observing it, mm -hmm. we've proven that actual conscious observation can affect matter and physical reality. Mm -hmm. That's a... That's a humongous yeah. jump yeah. for science and, and yeah. that these people and, and that even if you go back into the, the ideas of like the Big Bang Theory and things like that we still can't explain how nothing com how right. something comes from nothing right right and if you try to act like you do that's how I know you're not all the right. way there well here's the thing is science I'm sorry I'm such a dick I keep <laughs> telling everybody I'm not going to interrupt them and then I do uh, science is the greatest tool we have on the planet but it is only the the putting together the fragments that we can yeah. see and experience. Mm -hmm. Like when we look at evolution, that's our way of understanding cause and effect, but only with little pieces of information. Yes. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. We, it is real. We are connecting it, but it's 
just a tiny piece of the puzzle. We're discovering it. Yeah. We don't know what we are, who we are. Okay, go, Letitia. I'm sorry. I'll shut my mouth. Well, I just wonder, especially you're talking about power of being powerless or being fully in power, actually, without even knowing that you might be creating your your actual reality. Um, if I can bring back to empty stages, this this is a project that once it was thought up of, we saw so clearly in our brains, all three of us, how we wanted it to happen. You know, tell me who else in just a few months gathers $50,000, finds a, a, you know, awarded filmmaker to come and film you with a, in a mm. time where nobody's even opening halls. Right. I, I think you can create your reality. Definitely. And the more actually you feel empowered that there is that space through science to create your own Absolutely. reality. That, that, you know, that's maybe something that we're going to be finding out for a long time. We've been giving up our power to the gods, the ancient gods, or to mm -hmm. whatever religion is trying to give an idea of what this unknown is. I think with science and mixing all of these, we suddenly realize we have way more effect on our reality than we're told. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we're not being careful enough right. with that, if I can say. Um, so, so I hope that we keep exploring that yeah. and more people like Jim realize that, that, you know, there is that moment where you can create your own reality. If yeah. You want. yeah. I mean, it is also like, how do we know that consciousness wasn't the first thing? Like, how do we know that this whole world isn't just, built around our emotions and our consciousness. Well, you know there's, I mean? <laughs> there's a whole, there's a whole kind of scientific, not, I don't know, I guess philosophical theory would be the better way of putting it, but this idea that it's not actually that we exist within the universe, but rather that the universe exists within right, us, right. That, that the universe is basically yeah. uh, a consciousness observing itself through the yeah, vessels of yeah. us, which I think is what, ancient civilizations were trying to communicate through the idea of God, this yeah. singular consciousness mm -hmm. that is that is channeling through you and me, and that, that when they say God is in all of us and things like that, that the same consciousness that observes everything through my eyes and through my senses, through my ego, is the same consciousness that views the universe through your eyes. Or yours. Mm -hmm. So there is that connectivity, kind of like in a dream we've talked about before, when you're dreaming, and, and if I had a dream where I spoke to you and Letitia, that... It wouldn't be you and Letitia talking to right, me. Right. It would be me speaking to myself yeah, that's, that's through a good point. the vessel you, of that, you. That really impressed me when you when you brought that up the other week. Yeah, like that's, that's a really good point. And I, yeah, it just I mean I think there's so much to to think about, and I, I just there is nothing that peeves me more than like I said before when these people take on this like oh well you know well I, you know nothing that can happens be when you die yeah yeah just like that just boring evolution. just like dude being boring does not mean being smart I don't right. know when we right. confuse yeah it's almost like a, a race because skepticism in science kind of started with discounting a lot of mysticism in religion yeah it's like taking that to the nth degree yeah. is like, but it's, that's, that's just a part of it. They you know, have this religious like adherence. They, 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 they lose the understanding and, and, and the grasp on what science is, is that if science was, if, if we always followed the letter of science to the T, a, first of all, that would be anti-science because the entire point of science is that if you listen to the science a thousand years ago, the earth, the right. sun revolved around the earth, yeah, the earth was change. flat, you know, all these different things. And it was the people who questioned that and said, wait a second, no, maybe, maybe the, 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 uh, the things that we all religiously adhere to are untrue. And then you got a guy, like yeah, exactly. So the people that have this like religious adherence to the idea of science, right, right. first of all, it proves that human beings have a natural inclination towards religious tendency because sure. there's so many people that, that go with a certain thing that's said about in science and 
right, align themselves right. with it without actually taking the scientific approach, which is, right. okay, this is the hypothesis. Mm, mm. Let's experiment. Right, you know what right. I mean? So those are the I'm dumb so fascinated. For me, all of this can come back. Oh, sorry. No, you're, no, right. you're up. It's all yeah. you. Well, I, I don't know if you've ever heard. No, that's probably starting up a whole other hour's worth of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> We're not gonna, but I think, I think that that's one reason I like music is you're trying to kind of bypass all the the intellectuality of it all and right. you're going right to the nervous system and as long as you're sensitive to what your music is doing on someone's nervous system that mm -hmm. you know i feel comfortable in that realm in terms of people who want religious not religious i think it has to do with people who like to congregate and people who don't i think it has to do with us having genes from not just homo sapiens but a whole bunch of if you look there's always been hunter gatherers and people who then want to do farming right so there's mm -hmm. agricultural and hunter gatherer they've seen that people who have certain sets of genes are more likely to take risks more likely to live apart from people i think again it's just kind of we are stuck in our biology and we're trying to see outside of it mm -hmm. so you're going to see people that are more naturally i i would think that religious people are more the people who might go towards the agricultural side of life who want mm -hmm. to fit in mm -hmm. and it's interesting because then you see like the types of diseases that came out of agricultural life the all the mouth diseases that what we're kind of dealing with right now in green thumb green spreading. thumb <laughs> in any case, it's this idea that there's different humans, and for me, music it bypasses. It's the same for all humans, right? Right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's something about our genetics that that really responds to vibrations. Absolutely. I like <laughs> Guys, this has been a phenomenal episode. I feel like we we almost have to do another one real soon because we've, we've oh, come pleasure. up with so many ideas. I, I know I don't want to come down as, but this was really fun. As long as I can keep sequestering my girls, I can't believe how good they. Are. <laughs> Well, Letitia, <laughs> you have been amazing. Please remind people again where they can uh, they can check out your work and, and whatnot. Yes, ChamplainTrio.com or Vermont PBS Empty Stages. Our last two episodes will be playing this week, and you can already uh, live stream the first four episodes. Uh, us just kind of traveling through the state of Vermont and showing what music has been like for the past year. Oh, uh, Awesome. Letitia, this has been an and amazing episode. If anyone's episode. up in Vermont, I'm doing a big brewery tour with my, my quartet. So oh, we're fun. putting breweries all over Vermont for oh, all nice beers and all putting right. on a really fun program with a, you know stuff from Nirvana and Tool all the way back to Oh, Florida. yeah. I did hear I your uh, your cover of In Bloom was amazing. You guys you guys oh, arranged that, you. right? You arranged that yourself? Yeah, the bass player in that is the arranger. And he's married to Brooke, the the redhead violinist who's in my quartet. Nice. So he did this great arrangement during the COVID summer, and we all kind of got together and filmed it for him. That's so great. I'm so <laughs> inspired by all the stuff you're doing, Letitia. It was great Thank to talk you. to you again. I, I forgot like how potent your uh, kind of just energy as a person is, how, how attractive that is to interact with. Uh, so. Oh, it must have been weird in the diner anyways, because I was coming off of other stuff. <laughs> very, very out at sea. I had never done a service job like that. So. <laughs> I refused to leave the dish room for years and what, years. What restaurant was this, by the way? Paper Moon. Oh, cool, cool, yeah. cool, cool, cool. I eventually became a server there. I left, and then I came back, and I was a server for like probably five or six years. There you go. I think you were smart to stay behind the scenes most of yeah, the time. Yeah, I didn't want to deal with the people. Brian and you would have this like dry humor time. Over yeah, yeah, Brian. Yeah, I loved working with Brian. We'd always. I remember he'd like do his dances like uh, when he'd come back to do the can opener for <laughs> so he like invented a dance called the can opener and like <laughs> he'd always do that. Oh, dude, I remember this story real quick. 
uh, where he came back to the dish room, Brian. That's that's uh, Letitia's husband, by the way. They, they met at the moon. Okay, cool. And I was, I was friends with Brian at the time, too. We even played music together a couple times. But he uh, he came back to the dish room, and he was, like, telling me how this girl asked for Old Bay. And, uh, and he's like, oh, sorry, we don't have it. And then she, like, gave this, like, horrible, like, look towards him. <sighs> And I, and so I was like, we do, we have Old Bay. Like, there's tubs of Old Bay back there. So I grabbed it and I walked out into the dining room, like just carrying it under my arm, master <laughs> <past her> table. <laughs> and he looked like a jerk. With like the label, like that job was terrifying. I know. I will never do that to myself again. <laughs> like that. Oh man. Uh, I mean, I love the place. I still, I have a love for it, and I did have many, many good times there. But at this age, I do not think I could handle that that le- that level. I of- could never handle that. I don't. I, I don't even know how I did then. But I did bring the girls with Brian, uh, like what it was a year and a half ago to visit Lucas. Oh, and, nice. Uh, we brought them to Paper Moon because it was like, this is where mommy and daddy met. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I I always remember it was if I can say my my Paper Moon Brian sure. story. It was. I had never waitressed before. I came on a midnight shift. It was my first night. They gave me a table of 13 drunk guys at like 2 a.m. And I was in front of the computer trying to put in, I've never done computer menus. And I was obviously so visibly having a panic attack. And Brian came up and he had a full lemon, like those Meyer lemons. And he looked at me, he looked at me for a second. He got my attention and then he put the whole lemon in his mouth. (laughs) And he just ate it in front of me. And it made me laugh. To tears. I was like, "Who is this dude?" Oh, that's awesome. And ever then, I always had my eye on this guy who managed to lighten up like my most heavy yeah. moments. Wow, that's yeah, great. that was my yeah. future husband. <laughs> yeah, Brian's a great guy. I miss him. He said he's never eaten a lemon since then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, this has been fantastic. We'd love to have you back again sometime, Letitia, and congratulations on all you're doing. Uh, And uh, Jimmy, Letitia, we will see everybody next time on The Confessional.